about Andy. Remember Andy Aarons? Of course we do. This is about Andy Aarons. Andy was a volunteer who fought in World War II, who suffered many hardships, as warring soldiers do. Outnumbered by the foe, he fell to Japanese hands, was imprisoned many months in hostile foreign lands. A salt mine was his prison. His captors, cruel men, who drove their slaves with lashes again and then again. Their food was very meager, their work extremely hard, and if they stopped to rest, they were beaten by the guard. The only hope that he could see was a broken arm or leg to render him unable, so another heard him beg, break my arm or I'll die in this death hole in Japan. Hit my arm with this pipe as hard as you possibly can. His broken arm was his ticket to outside light and air where he was beaten and put to work, it wasn't very fair, to dig his own grave, not much better than the mine. But looking up, he heard and saw that, bay, that famed B-29. That big bird dropped an egg that mushroomed to the sky and made the enemy stop the war or all of them would die. U.S. troops were rescued then and Andy now relates the unseen hand that sheltered him had returned him to the States. It was then that Andy learned the unseen hand was Christ, who was his friend, the Holy One, whom God had sacrificed to rescue man from greater loss than war could ever be by dying for our, son, our sins at the place called Calvary. Andy's love for Jesus Christ was second then to none. He loved to tell of God's great love by sending us his son to take away our guilt and shame, give life for all to see that he is ours and we are his for all eternity. And he was a great fellow. The Lord's got a few good ones, you know. Well, it's nice to see all your shining faces again. It's been a a long time, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since I was up here. But I'd like to share a few thoughts this evening about the great experiment. The great experiment. Can anybody else guess where we're going to read? Was, it, was that my wife? No. <laughs> Yeah, let's all turn to the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, it's before then. <laughs> Solomon, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter two. I had a hard time understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. You notice it's back here in the clean part of your Bible. Um, there were verses in there that I couldn't understand uh, as being uh, compatible with other scriptures. 
For instance, time and time again, he says, there's nothing better to do than to eat and to drink and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Well, there is something better. Uh, I found a key verse to the whole book. I think it was Tom Olson years ago that said, if there's a passage of scripture you can't understand, read it over 20 times and it'll dawn on you. Read it again and again and again. Meditate on it, and the Lord will open up these truths to you. Well, that's what happened to me in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at uh, chapter 2. You notice in this book the word vanity is used about 29 times. Vanity. The Hebrew word is habel. And it means in vain, transitory, empty, useless, unsatisfactory. And the whole book is punctuated with this word, uh, habel, which is vain, vanity. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, we have the key to the, to the book, I believe. That's in, uh, it says, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. This was his target. To, he's, it's as though he said, uh, I'm going to apply all my wisdom and knowledge and skill for the benefit of all mankind. God gave him that wisdom and knowledge, superhuman wisdom, so he might rule Israel well. And so he takes on this project. It's not a bad project, wouldn't you say? To discover what path to take through life? Using all that wisdom and knowledge? Um, And so let's read through the second chapter. Beginning with verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. What does vanity mean? Transitory, in vain, empty, useless, unsatisfactory. But surely this was vanity. I said of laughter, madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom, that's a pretty good trick, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. So he was really doing this for us, wasn't he? The sons of men. Something to hand down to our children, maybe? Something to pattern our life after? Take advantage of all his wisdom and knowledge? Uh, Verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants uh, born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures 
of kings and of provinces. I acquired ma male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more and more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. That is, that word really means to examine it carefully. I examined carefully all the works that my hands had done and on the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. You might say, well, he was a pessimist. Well, he was honest. He was trying to find that part of life that uh, was successful. It would bring pleasure and, and uh, pros prosperity. First of all, you notice he, he tries creativity. Uh, that's not bad. He says he built houses. I remember when we built our house at Chivuma, out of, uh, we knocked down some anthills and made mud and made Kimberly bricks, uh, four by four by eight, sun-dried, and we built our house out of that with a thatched roof. And uh, I, re I remember the satisfaction of seeing the thing, thing uh, advance and take place. Worked hard. Well, so there's pleasure in building a house. He planted vineyards. And uh, contemporary literature says that his vineyards were thousands of acres of grapes. You might notice in this uh, chapter he uses 30 personal programs. I built myself houses. I, I did this. It's all for me. I made myself gardens and orchards. Well, a lot of people today get a lot of pleasure out of gardening. There's a lot of pleasure in it. To watch those little plants grow, you know, what a miracle of life they are. And flowers, beautiful flowers form. The Lord Jesus took a flower and said, Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. So there's a lot of pleasure in gardening. And uh, orchards. I plant, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. You know, in uh, Genesis 2.9, the Lord planted fruit trees in the Garden of Eden. He said, these will be for your fruit, for your food. If you want to eat good food, eat fruit. Why is it so good? Because a fruit tree puts her roots down and, and absorbs the water-soluble minerals and, and nutrients out of the soil, whereas surface plants like spinach and, and cabbage and that is just the roots are on the surface. They don't go on after the minerals that are so vital to good health. That's just thrown in there uh, uh, special tonight. That's, there's no charge for that. So uh, he planted orchards. Did you know that, that God planted an orchard? Yeah. 
In Psalm 1, we read, He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. A tree. God's, where is this orchard? Well, part of it's right here. Look around. There are a lot of trees in this room. God's creation, recreation, new creatures who were planted with purpose. And he planted us by streams of water. Um, Jeremiah 17, 8, it repeats it. Uh, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out her roots by the river, and will not uh, fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Well, let's get back to Solomon here. He had, certainly, there's a lot of enjoyment in what Solomon did. But then he draws his conclusion. It's all vanity. It's vain. It's, it's useless. It's unsatisfactory. There's nothing lasting in it. Nothing perpetual. It's all transient. Then he says in verse 6, I've made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. We, when we were in Israel years ago, we visited those pools. There are three of them in series. They're in a, a, a canyon uh, southeast of Bethlehem. And there are three pools in series. And hydraulic engineers today tell us that that's a masterpiece of, uh, of uh, calculation. The, the water collected in the first one, and then the second is larger, and the third one is huge, and they're about eight feet deep. And they're marvel at the engineering that went into those, uh, those reservoirs. So then creativity, he decides, is vain, empty. Now he turns to possessions. Uh, verse 7, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all who were in Jerusalem before me, that is, all of them put together. When we were on furlough once from Africa, we showed some pictures of our servant. <laughs> well, I guess it's Bob, Bob Young's servant. His name was Ioano. I've got to tell about Ioano. Bob had been out to the Copper Belt two or three times a year. We'd do that to lay in supplies. And as he was shopping around, he found some uh, puffed wheat. We hadn't seen it for years. Puffed wheat. So he got two boxes of it. And when he got back to Chivuma, he thought, well, this will be a treat. Uh, we'll invite everybody over for some puffed wheat. So he gave the boxes to Yoano. The, the kitchen is outside to keep the smoke from filling the house from the wood stove. And uh, we all got seated, and we gave thanks and we waited for Yoano to show up with the, the big container of puffed wheat. Finally, Bob got up and went out there, 
And Yoano had put all those, both boxes of buff, uh, puffed wheat in a big pan, and he was boiling them. <laughs> and it turned to wallpaper paste. So we didn't get take advantage of any uh, any treat that day. So it's nice to have uh, servants, but quite often our the, the girl we had um, would come in and both thumbs would be uh, submerged in the gravy. But that didn't matter. We don't know where those thumbs had been. Uh, so the lady that felt that we were super. Uh, blessed with, with uh, servants, sort of changed their mind. But you know, when, when uh, missionaries have servants, those servants have a, a direct contact with the missionary. They read your attitudes, your, they listen to your words, and they pick up the truth about you. And uh, sometimes that can be embarrassing. But uh, the girl that we had went on to uh, Lusaka and uh, bore a real bright testimony as she went to college in Lusaka. So he had servants and servants born in his house. Well, there's a lot of joy with a new baby, isn't, it? isn't there? We delivered probably uh, 30, 35 babies a month at Chivoma. Most of them in the middle of the night, it seems like. That's when babies like to arrive. They're nocturnal in nature. And uh, there's a lot of joy in, in uh, holding up a newborn baby. Uh, that little package of joy, and they let out the first cry, take the first gulp of air. There's joy in that. Uh, until they become teenagers. So he had all these things. Um, yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks. I also gathered silver and gold, the special treasure of kings, acquired male and female singers. You know, there's, there's a lot of a pleasure in group singing, male and female. I like... Uh, uh, barbershop quartet, close harmony quartets, don't you? Yeah, that's very pleasing to the ears. When I was studying, I used to turn in, uh, turn on KFAC, I think it was. It was classical music, very soothing and uh, easy on the on the mind. Uh, musical instruments of all kinds, they give a lot of pleasure. If you know how to play a musical instrument, even if it's a harmonica, why there's pleasure in that. But his he came to conclusions after all these studies, these investigations, and he said, if anybody can do it, I can. With all of his wisdom and his wealth, his popularity, he said, uh, does anybody here think he could outdo Solomon? Do you have greater resources? No, I'm sure I haven't. But uh, he comes to these conclusions. Look at uh, verse 24 of chapter 2. 
Here's one of his conclusions. Uh, Nothing is better for a man that, than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good of his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. What? What? That's what it says. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I, how Solomon said. Well, let's look at his next conclusion. Chapter 3, verse... Um, 12 and 13. Verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. The next one is in uh, chapter 5. Verse 18, he says, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils after the, under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. Um, chapter 8. And verse 15. Uh, so I commended enjoyment or entertainment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Have we been wrong? Have we gone on the wrong course? Nothing better to do than to eat, drink, and be merry? Well, look at uh, Luke 12. I think it's Luke 12. And verse 18. Um, oh, well, well. And he spoke to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pour down, pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was quoting Solomon. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? God called him a fool. This wise man. Well, let's look at Solomon. He died relatively young. Younger than most of us here, I would dare say. He died at 56. He started reigning when he was 16. 
and he reigned for 40 years. That makes 56. And he died a total failure, a failure. He started well. And I think this can be a, a warning to you and me. You can start well and just start degenerating with your relationship to God, neglecting God's word, neglecting meditation, prayer. Yeah, he died a, a total failure. I think that's why he died so young. He says he had 700 wives and 300 punk, uh, concubines. That makes 1,000. If you dry, uh, divide 365 into 1,000, you get about uh, six, about 2.7 women a day. Available. And you know, Solomon violated his own advice many times. In Proverbs 5, he warned young men about women, illicit women. And what did he do? He had 300 concubines, 700 wives. Time and time again. You know, it's easier to preach than, than to practice. Much easier. In fact, you know, we preach by our practice. We preach by our attitudes and actions, don't we? When the Lord left this scene, he said, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That means every little cranny and village in the earth. Witnesses. In, uh, in Titus here, it says, uh, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, uh, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. The, these are the witnesses on earth today. It's the girl in the office, the teacher in the classroom. It's a, it's, it's a Christian good neighbor who is displaying a transformed life, the work of God, the work of God's spirit. Solomon compiled 3,000 proverbs, wrote 1,005 songs. He had wealth, power, popularity, all the, that a person could ever want, Solomon had. And yet he concluded, it's all empty, all empty. But you know, there's an irony here, and I love this. Who was Solomon's father? David, King David. You know what David wrote in uh, the 16th Psalm? Of course you do. Thou, as he addressed God, he said, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, pleasures forevermore. Solomon missed it. He was seeking those things in the material life, wealth and entertainment and music. Seems to me there was a, a, a pretty serious breakdown of communication between father and son. In fact, David's sons tried to kill him, Adonijah. 
Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. That's where joy reaches saturation point. Fullness of joy. Why is it that uh, you can only have fullness of joy when you know Christ as Savior? Because man is a tripartite being. He's uh, spirit, soul, and body. He's a never-dying spirit. And he lives in a body with a personality. He's tripartite. But the, the man who is spiritually dead is only two-thirds there. He's body and personality. That's it. And he's spiritually out of touch with God. He might believe about God. Many do. But you know, the, you, to really know God, you have to come on his terms. Him that cometh to me, he said, I will no wise cast out. Well, Solomon, I think the book was written for this very purpose, to tell us that life does not consist in the multitude of things we can possess. It's interesting to me to drive down the street and see these uh, storage places, you know, where people store all the stuff they can't, haven't got room for at home. And then they die, and then they auction these things off. Somebody said, you know, you never see a, a U-Haul behind a hearse. You just can't take it with you. And you know, the Lord Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, added unto you. What a promise. That's a tremendous promise. Um, who is it? Where do we see at the right hand of God? In your presence, the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where we find Christ, isn't it? He's at the right hand of God. And in him is the embodiment of, of all pleasure. You and I rejoice. Think of the admonitions in, in the scriptures. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? We can rejoice because these pleasures are ours. He's, re he's delivered us from, power, from, from the, the power of Satan, the exousia, the, the mastery of Satan. He's delivered us from fear. I was listening to a newscast the other day, and the man said, there's one word today that de describes Americans, and that one word is fear. People are afraid today when they know the facts about, uh, about tomorrow. There's, we live in a hopeless world. It's not just our, our country. It's a hopeless world degenerating rapidly. Christ is coming soon, you know. He, he promised, and he keeps his promises. And in uh, Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. You and I have the handle of our heart. We can put it where we want to. God gave us 
that free, uh, made us free will agents. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind on things above. You and I have a handle on our mind. And how easily our mind is led down the garden path today by uh, advertisements and suggestive pictures. But we need to discipline our minds, set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And I like 1 Corinthians 15:58. We all know it by heart. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Solomon concluded everything is vanity. He starts his book there. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he says. Five times he uses the word in the first verse. But you know our labor in the vain, in, in, in the Lord is not in vain. So God leads us down the path of life, the one that David referred to. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Uh, it's a custom path. It's a path of love and joy, peace, peace that goes beyond reason. Remember the, in the early days, the martyrs that were burned to the stake, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, they were burnt to the stake, and with the flames licking up around their body, they sang praises to God. What peace. Contentment, tranquility of mind and heart, these are gifts of God. This is on the path that God chooses for every one of us. He removes fear. It's a path of plenty and a path of guidance. Uh, GPS has nothing on God's guidance. He knows the end from the beginning. And uh, it's, a, it's a life of fruit and satisfaction. David wrote also in Psalm 17, you know, it's, it's easy to be uh, dissatisfied in this life. There are trials on every hand. And uh, David wrote in Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Isn't that beautiful? That's when we have total Satisfaction. New bodies, new nature, new vision, new knowledge will have a, a, a body like that of the Lord Jesus and we'll be able to see him face to face. What a privilege. Do you stop at 730? Hmm? You do, huh? Oh, well, I've got five minutes to tell you a story. Talk about the guidance of God. When we lived at Chavuma, we went about 380 miles to Sakeji School, and these weren't on freeways. They were on dirt roads with potholes and goats and what have you, in third gear most of the way. And uh, 
I made this trip once, took us quite a while to take my two girls and some of the kids from, from Chavuma up to Sakeji School at the beginning of term. And while I was out there, it's shorter to go to the copper belt. So I went out to the copper belt and I bought a kit for my Land Rover. It's called Swivel Pin Housing Repair Kit. My U-joints in the front were leaking oil. Uh, the sand on those roads just eat up the seals. So I bought this thing. It wasn't cheap either. And uh, it was it's clearly marked, Series 2 Land Rover Swivel Pin Housing Repair Kit. So I put it under the seat of the Land Rover, and two or three days later, I got back to Chivoma and got rested, and then I jacked up my Land Rover and took it all apart to put in these new parts. And uh, opened the box, and the parts weren't for a Series 2 at all. Boy, oh boy, the label was wrong. And it happened in England. Land Rover people in England. You know, I had a few things <laughs> to confess that night before I put my head on the pillow. I wasn't too happy with the Land Rover people. And boy, what I wasn't going to tell them. I had driven 570 miles and then I got out there and put my Land Rover together again. And we had a very busy year that year, and we got so busy, you know, I got, I just forgot about the whole thing. I had put it under the seat of my Land Rover, and a whole year went by. I had forgotten about it. And uh, it was time to take another Sakeji trip. So we got everything ready and took off for Sakeji. And we met at at uh, Loloma Mission to form a convoy because the, the road up to Munilunga was terrible. It was only traveled maybe two or three times a year by anybody. Tra a trader used to go up once a year to, to sell pots and pans, uh, trade them for lion skins and elephant tusks and that sort of thing. Well, we, we congregated there at uh, Loloma and had lovely breakfast together and uh, all got in our vehicles, about four of them in a convoy. But there was one brother, Gerald McQuillan, one of the Irish brethren who had a brand new Land Rover the assembly had sent out to him. And it was lovely, boy. It was a beautiful Series 3. And uh, he thought we all drove too slowly. Well, we didn't have new Land Rovers. So he got up a half an hour ahead of us all, and he took off to be ahead. Well, the rest of us got put together with kids chucked in and all their trunks and a year's supply of, of uh, clothing. And we came across Gerald about noontime, and he had going too fast around a sweeping turn, and there was a hard clay road with sand on it, and it was like ball bearings. And he slid off the road, and his right front wheel hit a stump. And it laid right out like that. It pulled the half shaft out. There was grease all over the place. The thing was sitting at an ugly angle. And poor Gerald was sitting over on a, on a stump with his back to us. So we stopped, and we had a little prayer meeting. And Francis and I decided we would stay behind and see what we could do for Gerald. And the rest of them, we put all uh, our loaded uh, of kids into other vehicles. 
And uh, they took off to get there in time for the commencement service. So uh, we had a little gramophone, little Victoria, uh, Victrola they call it, yeah, hand crank thing, and we put it out on the, the hood of my Land Rover and we played George Beverly Shea, you know, and, and music to sort of uh, modify the atmosphere. Because Gerald didn't even greet us, he's crying. Brand new Land Rover and there's no possible way of getting a, a, a tow truck up in there or get, get it repaired. So I went over and I had a chainsaw and I chopped a stump and I gassed, uh, jacked up his Land Rover and got it up in the air and started cleaning up parts and there were four studs sheared right off flush and uh, the, the oil seal, the U-joint was broken. So I got everything all cleaned up and I thought, boy, what are we going to do? So when you reach an impasse in Africa, you do two things. First, you gather sticks and build a fire and make a pot of tea. Then you have a prayer meeting. So Francis and I had a little prayer meeting and we asked the Lord for the right parts that we would need for that Land Rover. And uh, we sat for maybe 10 minutes. Then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. Under the seat of my Land Rover, I had a, a box of parts for a Series 3 Land Rover, a rebuild kit. It had the studs and the U-joints the and the seals and everything. Now, was that coincidence? You know, a year beforehand, God had made that provision. That's the kind of path you and I are on. He knows our needs before they occur. And we had him on the, on the road within two hours. And he was so happy, he really cried. Time and time again, We've seen the hand of God in that fashion. Well, it's a wonderful path to be on. Thou wilt show me the path of life. And the path he leads you down might not be the same as me. Probably not. Because his paths are custom made just for you. He knows what you need. And it's uh, wonderful to be, uh, to have a companion like Jesus Christ, who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank thee this evening for the magnitude of grace that drew salvation's plan strong enough large enough to include sinners like us, rebels at heart, born in sin and shapen in iniquity and, in, and sinners by nature and by practice. But you sent your son to bear away those sins and guilt and to restore us to, to our, our God, to bring a life of fruit bearing, a life of joy, contentment, and though we live in, a, in an age that's desperately wicked, 
Yet we know that we have a home eternal in the heavens waiting for us by our Savior. How we rejoice in him tonight. Who are we that we should be so blessed? We thank thee for it in Jesus' worthy and precious name. Amen.